Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Real Time Enterprise channel on Vantic TV, our video and podcast series of interviews with thought leaders and practitioners in digital transformation and the real time enterprise. My name is Blaine Matthew. I'm Chief Marketing and Product Officer at Vantic. For those not familiar with Vantic, it's a platform for quickly and easily creating transformative digital applications to drive your agile business in real time. Joining me today is Tim Crawford, CIO Strategic Advisor at Avoa. Tim is an internationally renowned CIO thought leader in the areas of IT transformation, cloud computing, data analytics, and Internet of Things. Tim has served as CIO and in other senior IT roles with leading global organizations such as Konica Minolta, Stanford University, Knight Ritter, Philips Electronics, and National Semiconductor. Tim is part of the Wall Street Journal CIO network and is ranked number four on the top 100 most influential CIOs. Wow. And his work is focused on differentiating and catapulting organizations in transformative ways through the use of technology as a strategic lever. Welcome, Tim. Thanks for the time. Thanks, Blaine, for having me. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Let's make it highly interactive, uh, as always. Now, since these episodes are pre-recorded, we won't be taking live Q&A, but you can reach either myself or, or our guest by sending a note to realtimeadvantic.com, and we'll be more than happy to follow up with you directly. So let's dive right in, Tim. Uh, so tell us a little bit more about Avoa and your consulting practice. Thanks, Blaine. Most of the work that we do is focused on helping companies leverage IT, and more importantly, technology in meaningful ways. This isn't a tech for tech's sake conversation. This is about using technology for business advantage. And there's a very significant difference between the two. So if you use business as your, as your lead on, uh, as opposed to technology, it gives you a unique context uh, that has a lot more to offer. And so that's really where we live, is in that intersection between business and technology and helping companies kind of see the path uh, to their future. Hmm, interesting. So I think that probably obviously relates to, I think one of your most recent blog posts on your, on your blog and your website at avoaavoa.com. You blogged about changing the enterprise application paradigm, shifting the thinking around enterprise applications. Flesh that, that sounds really interesting. Flesh that out a little bit more. What, what was the thought process you were trying to promulgate with that blog post? Yeah, the, you know, if you go back 10, 20 plus years, I mean, when I was an SAP customer um, using large uh, enterprise resource planning uh, applications, these are really complicated solutions. And the approach that we used to take with these was where we would take the software and we would completely configure it to our business needs, meaning mm -hmm. we would essentially create this snowflake, this unique solution for our needs. That sounds great on the surface, but the problem is, as you go down the road, when it's time to upgrade, when it's time to make changes, you're making changes to unique applications and really complicated applications. And so those changes are really not just complicated, but they're very, very expensive to do. And so this leads to other problems where we avoid upgrades, we might skip versions, we might delay implementations, which means we can't take advantage of new updates and new technology for some period of time, sometimes measured in years. Hmm. And so the change in thinking around enterprise applications is really geared to say, 
look, we've been on this merry-go-round many times. It's mm -hmm. time to get off and think differently about this. And is there a way where maybe we can move from this heavily configuration-centric model to one where we are just simply making small modifications to it, but the core application still works the same? Meaning, the application can change under our feet, no problem. Um, but it's not going to have as significant of an impact. And this is really when you get into like cloud-based applications, the underlying application can change without you having to, to get into the, the configuration nuts and bolts. I and see. that the advantage to that is that you take advantage of these, uh, these newer technologies and opportunities much quicker than you would through the traditional means. Hmm. Interesting. And obviously this relates to another recent blog post you had around, around cloud-based applications and how cloud is changing the business and IT landscape. But isn't cloud something that's now been with us, you know, almost 20 years, really since, you know, since Salesforce began the, the no software push? What sort of, how are you, it seems like you're thinking cloud through a, a sort of a new and a little bit more uh, an innovative lens. D dive into that a little bit more deeply, if you don't mind. Sure. So I think the thing, Blaine, to, to consider here and for the audience to think about is, yes, cloud has, has been around for some period of time. Um, and Salesforce was definitely one of the first generation cloud-based companies. And that is the exact approach that I'm referring to. You don't configure the heck out of Salesforce. You might make some configuration changes, uh, minor configuration changes, you know, put your logo on it, move some fields around, but you're not, you're not having to manage the underlying application. The, the real change here um, today versus in the past is that we have to think about how we're working internally, how we leverage these applications internally. And that's really the fundamental change here. It's not the technology itself. It's how we use the technology. And that's a, that's a very significant change to what we've done in the past. Okay, that's uh, now I now I understand where you're coming from more clearly. So to dive into that a little bit more. So how is it? How does it need to be different? Uh, the leveraging of technology. How how should we evolve our thinking in that regard? Well, as I kind of started out with my introduction, I think the the first thing is you have to think about back up for a second and don't focus on the technology. Focus on the business. You know, there are three core attributes that I often talk about. Um, that are important for companies to start with as kind of their, their nexus or their, uh, their compass, if you will. Number one is around efficiencies. And we've heard about this for a long time, right? Finding efficiencies through the use of technology. Yep. Um, can you do something faster? Can you do it more in a more meaningful way? Um, but it's focused around efficiency. That some might articulate that is that's kind of bottom line advantage, right? Yeah. You're, you're putting more money back to your bottom line. The second one is adding money to the top line. So how do you start leveraging technology in a meaningful way to um, head toward growth yeah. and focused on business growth? And where does technology play a role in that? And doesn't, because it's important that technology doesn't always fit the bill. And we, and we have to make sure that we're focused um, in the right context there. And then the third piece is customer engagement. And so in terms of customer engagement, we've talked about this for a long period of time. But what some of the more advanced companies are starting to do is think about customers from a more holistic standpoint. So for example, Blaine, if you're going out and buying a new car, we could put together 
an entire CRM package and profile around who Blaine is, right? Yep. But what we often don't see is what are the other secondary factors that might impact your decision to buy that car? Maybe you're looking for a big raise at work. Maybe you're looking for, um, you potentially have another child on the way. Maybe you potentially have some other factor that's coming into your life. And this plays whether you're talking about consumers or whether you're talking about businesses. For businesses, it might be they're looking for this big deal to come through before they make invest, uh, further investment in a factory. Yeah. And so what the more advanced applications are doing is they're looking at how do we start to understand what those secondary factors are that ultimately, ultimately impact the decision of that customer. Hmm. And so that's where things get really, really interesting because you don't necessarily have direct line of sight of what those secondary factors are. And yeah. so you kind of have to read the tea leaves and this is where analytics really come into play to say, well, that's kind of interesting. Blaine happens to be looking at diapers. He happens to be doing a lot of uh, shopping around home stuff. You know, could we maybe put these two together and, and make some inferences from it? And so that's what I mean when I talk about the holistic customer view. So you yeah. put these three together and now you start talking about kind of cooking with gas, if you will. Hmm. Interesting. So when I, when I think of putting those three together, efficiency, growth, and engagement, my, what I uh, think of as cooking with gas is digital transformation. Like fundamentally, that's in my mind what, what digital transformation really is. It's about driving growth often through engaging in the market in new and innovative ways. And of course, you have to be you know, highly efficient. Your, your transformation can't be inefficient. What, what, is, what do you think about the concept of digital transformation? What does, it, what does it mean to you? What comes to mind when you hear the term? Well, two things come to mind. One is the term's overplayed at this point and everyone's kind of leveraging digital transformation as kind of the the buzzword bingo to to get their foot in the door and i get that but if digital transformation is not tied to one other key component then you really have to ask yourself what you're doing and that other key component is actually business transformation you have again come back to that business context and you'll hear me harp on this again and again and again which is what is it we're trying to do from a business standpoint? And then how can we change our digital landscape to be able to provide advantage to that business transformation? And the warning here is that not all pieces around what people call digital transformation have a component to business transformation. And so then you start to have to really ask yourself, why are you doing it? And is this the most important use of our resources and time? <laughs> you just you just caused a light bulb to go off in my mind or maybe maybe an explosion actually because I remember back when I first started really talking about digital transformation maybe four or five years ago when I was working for a big data analytics company and the term I actually used back then was digital business transformation okay it was about Trans, it is about transforming the business, right? That's what we really care about fundamentally using digital technologies and all these, all this, uh, you know, cool stuff in, in the industry we're in. But it is about business transformation. And, and you just made me realize that somewhere in the last few years, and I don't know how this happened, the word business got dropped off and it just became digital transformation. And, and you know, that's, uh, that's not right. 
right? Because yeah. the real, the real value, the real outcome is about the business transformation. And of course you're using digital, you know, so-called digital technologies, cloud, AI, all, all of these things. But uh, wow, you just, you just blew my mind there, Tim, a little bit. Well, let me, let me kind of maybe blow it a little further. <laughs> <laughs> careful, careful. <laughs> you know, I, I often hear, and I'm sure you hear this as well, um, so we want to leverage cloud because it'll make us more agile. So mm -hmm. what, what does that mean to the CEO? So the CEO of a company, how does agile help them? Is that going to help toward efficiency and can you quantify it? Is it going to help toward growth and can you quantify it? Is it going to help toward customer engagement? Can you quantify it? My point is many of these projects around leveraging cloud and, and as you know, and, and for your readers benefit and listeners benefit, um, those of you that know me know that I'm a huge cloud proponent, but I will also say when used appropriately. And it's important to understand when you use these technologies like cloud, and you talk about agile, they in their own right, don't do anything for your company, right? Just moving an application from on-prem to cloud, what did that gain you? Yeah. Did that really give you an advantage, a business advantage? And so it's important to understand why you're doing these things and how that's going to help you from a business standpoint. There are plenty of opportunities, don't get me wrong. There are plenty of opportunities across every single industry that I've worked with, from healthcare to financial services, major airlines, um, hospitality, commercial real estate, high tech, every single industry, oil and gas, has had an example of where digital transformation can be useful, but only when you think about it from a business context. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, you know, I absolutely fundamentally agree with that. And I was speaking at, a, at an event in London a few weeks ago, and I, I opened up by saying uh, it was a blockchain, AI, and IoT event, you know, three hot, three hot topics. And I said, none of you are here to build, I hope none of you are here to build blockchain applications or AI applications or IoT applications. You're here to build business applications that are going to transform and change your business and the technology you use, cloud, on-prem, whether you're using machine learning or not, or whatever the case is, that, that's a means to an end, right? Uh -huh. And the, the yeah. end is what matters. Now, I often think, uh, now I do think one of the uh, key elements of a transformative you know, business application is something that helps the business become more real time. You know, we, I do a lot of talking and thinking about this notion of real time applications. And when I think about most uh, disruptive companies with most with disruptive business models underpowered by under uh, you know underscored by technology they've taken an, an old line business like the taxi industry which was far from a real-time business and turned it into a real-time operation where you knew at any given moment where the cars were where the passengers were what the status of everybody was as the system was orchestrating uh the the, the best possible outcome what's your thought on this notion of a real-time business or real-time application well, you know, speed, speed is key, right? Customers increasingly so. And as we go through the generations from the boomers to the X's to the Y's to the Z's, um, they're increasing the, um, the urgency of what they want and when they want it. And so even using your example of the taxi industry and being able to move from waiting to hail a cab to 
going on your phone and, and pulling up and requesting uh, service immediately, or look at some of the uh, online delivery services that can deliver your groceries uh, to your home. I mean, we have moved to a world where, where people more and more, increasingly so, are looking for that instantaneous satisfaction. And while on some, some levels I think that's a good thing, I think we have to be careful and keep that in balance because it could be a bad thing too, because it gets us conditioned for instant response. And then when we run into a situation where instant response is not necessarily a good thing, um, culturally, then it kind of flies in the face of, of what we're starting to condition ourselves for. The other component here is we have to be careful about um, being good citizens from a technology industry standpoint. So for example, look at the, the Ubers and Lyfts of the world. Um, it's great in terms of what they're doing compared to the traditional taxi approach. But let me ask you this, what happens if they're not able to build a fungible business that is able to make money and be profitable? You know, there's a real question around that. And so what happens if all of a sudden they siphon the, the business from the taxi industry to them, and then what happens if they collapse? Where is that whole industry uh, headed, right? It, it starts to create some cultural questions around, we get used to um, kind of an Uber Lyft type of uh, responsiveness. And if those businesses are not able to, to remain profitable, then we start to run into other issues. And so I think we have, we have a responsibility as technology leaders to make sure that when we're helping our organizations build their businesses, we're doing it in a meaningful way. And that meaningful way isn't always tied to a dollar sign. Yeah. Well, and, and thinking about responsibility of technology and technologists, that's probably a good segue into the discussion about artificial intelligence and, and where that's going. Uh, what, what, are your, what are your thoughts on the future for human workers in a world full of increasingly intelligent AI systems, machine learning systems? You know, I've done quite a bit of work in AI, and it's a, it's a common question that comes up amongst enterprises. And, you know, there are a couple of things to think about. And I have, I have this cup here um, to kind of sh show an example. Um, you know, when we think of, of AI, we can define what this cup is. We can define what it can hold, how much it can hold, right? The, the pressure that the walls can withstand, how, how much volume it can hold. We set it down on a table and we know, you know, what it will take to tip over. But AI is missing a core component today that is really, really important. And it's something that we as humans understand, but something that machines do not. So if I were to give this cup to a two-year-old, what are they going to do with it? Of course, they're going to pour liquid in it, no problem. But the other thing they're going to do, and I don't necessarily have something that's loud, but they can start making sounds with it, right? You know, when you, mm -hmm. yep. you can start to make sounds with it. The other thing I can do is I can start building with it. How do I tell a computer, teach a computer to natively learn that you can do all of these things without actually programming it? We didn't program that two-year-old and tell that two-year-old what you can do with it. They cognitively, and that's the key word here, they cognitively figured out what they could do with this cup. Yeah. We have to figure out 
how the human brain works before we can teach computers how to do it. So that's the first thing. So really what we're talking about is not really artificial intelligence. We're talking about really advanced analytics. So that's the first thing. I think the, the important thing there is we're actually starting to see companies that are gaining insights from data that they hadn't even thought of, which is great. I mean, that's, that's amazing because usually we have these huge volumes of data. We look at the, the data. We start to ask questions of it, right? Data scientists get involved and start asking questions of the data. Machines are now starting to look for patterns and identify patterns that we haven't actually asked it mm -hmm. to do. Mm -hmm. And so that's where things start to get interesting from an analytics standpoint. But I do think it's slightly different than that cognitive capability. So yeah. Yeah. let's be careful that we don't cross that line between the analytics and the science fiction. I think we're bringing too much science fiction into the, the conversation today. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and as uh, any technologist on, on the uh, podcast and video will know, you could, you could get into many hours of discussions with various experts and opinions on when machines will, will be able to do more, you know, more self-learning and, and uh, almost a self-actualization. But in the foreseeable future, I, I think it's absolutely critical that we think about humans and machines literally collaborating together, human-machine collaboration. It used yeah. to be, you know, the state of, of IT used to be about HMI, the human machine interface, like how we made it uh -huh. easier for a person to find the buttons to press or to interact with the machine. But now as the machines or the systems become more intelligent, it literally can, I think, is becoming a collaboration where you can take what the machines are becoming increasingly good at using you know machine learning and other technologies but then leverage the wisdom experience knowledge of people to help make them more efficient and effective in the organization i think it's a truly collaborative uh, association between humans and machines any thoughts on that on that concept absolutely and mind you i do think at some point we will see that science fiction in reality um, but that's a ways off Today, I think the real opportunity is, is, as you said, it's being able to augment the human capability with machines and being able to leverage machines in a meaningful way. In some ways, yes, artificial intelligence and even machine learning to some degree will take over some jobs, but is it going to advance where, from where we are today to something, to a better world, to a, um, a more fruitful life for us. Take, for example, tractors in the fields, right? We used to use plows and horses and oxen to, to move through the fields to be able to till a field. And you might be able to do an acre in a day. Now we can do a, a hundred acres in a day using machinery. Did that replace uh, the human component? Sure did, but it also produced more food for us. So there are, uh, upsides to each of these technological advancements, it's important to understand kind of how it fits into the big picture. And so I think AI becomes really beneficial, especially today, when we find those connection points where it can augment what we're already doing. Right on, right on. So you you brought up tractors and farming, and that that uh, twigged my mind to segue into a, a slightly different topic around IoT. Mm -hmm. So, you know, IoT obviously is, is a technology that 
it, in my opinion, and uh, I would love your opinion, is finally hitting its stride. It, it was in sort of the lab, I think, uh, a few years ago, a lot of companies testing and experimenting, but now it's actually getting out into the real world from what I see. What are your thoughts on the state of IoT uh, in the market today? Yeah, I completely agree. I think IoT is finally starting to hit its stride. And part of that comes from the underlying technology and the miniaturization of the technology. Mm -hmm. So being able to do meaningful things beyond just simply wearables, you know, the, you know, whether it's everything from the Fitbit to the Apple Watch to other types of wearables. Um, IoT is becoming more interesting, but I think part of that is also become is also due to the fact we're starting to become more imaginative and how we're thinking about using technology. I'll give you an example, um, working with a company and, and we're having this conversation around the, um, the large engine fixtures that for aircraft engines, you know, when they take an engine off the aircraft, they have to put it on this apparatus and these apparatuses would go missing. I mean, it's hmm. kind of mind blowing in its own right, right? This, this <laughs> massive, massive steel apparatus would all of a sudden disappear. Yeah. And so they wanted to put GPS sensors on it to be able to tell where these apparatuses were. And so my argument was, well, that's kind of interesting, but imagine if you put one more sensor on it, put a weight sensor on it as well. And now what you get is not just the location of the apparatus of the fixture, but you can also tell if it's in use, whether it has an engine on it or not. Mm -hmm. And based on the weight characteristics, you can tell what kind of engine is on it too. Now, granted, mm -hmm. these fixtures are usually purpose-built for certain types of engines, but you kind of get the point of knowing what type of engine could be on it if you had a fixture that could handle multiple types of engines. Right. And so now you've got something that um, can tell where the fixture is, can tell if it's got an engine on it, the type of engine, and now you can actually put that into your operational workflow of knowing where that engine is, that particular engine, because you could tie a serial number for an engine to that fixture in yeah. a way that you couldn't do before. Yeah. And so now you start kind of putting um, theory into use, and that's where I think IoT really starts to show its value, is when we can kind of get beyond the science project and get into mass use for operational workflows, um, whether that's from a customer engagement standpoint, whether that's from an efficiency standpoint, or just simply providing greater insights to what we do as a company, you know, right. whatever company you might be in. Right, and I think this circles us back to the real-time discussion. So all the data flowing off these IoT devices is a fundamental enabler of turning your organization into a real-time business. That's right. And it ties back to something else that we were talking about around AI. So now mm. all of that data and think about the data over time, it's a lot of data and we can't humanly uh, process all of that data through traditional means. And so this is where we need to kind of bring machine learning and AI into the mix so that we kind of put analytics on steroids and can actually make sense of it in a meaningful way quickly. Yeah. All right. So let me let me change gears here and ask a, you know, what I was going to position it as a philosophical question, but I think it's actually a very practical question, which is who should own the business transformation, digital business transformation 
digital transformation? I guess it partly depends on what word you use, but who should own that in the business? Who should be the key driver? Should it be IT or should it be the business side, the OT side, whatever you want to call it, the not the IT side? Well, I think number one, it can't be just one or the other. It really has to be a true partnership. And I know that sounds very cliche, but the reality is the depth of understanding of the business function really rests within the OT side, right? It, it rests within that business unit. However, the technology depth and understanding rests within the IT side of things. And so these two have to work more collaboratively. And we've heard the argument uh, before where, well, IT needs to learn more about the business and business needs to learn more about IT. But I think in that argument, Specifically, I would say that IT has a lot of work to do to understand how your company works. Uh, when I run into these companies and have conversations with the executives within the IT organization, they think they understand, uh, to a large degree, understand what their company does. Mm -hmm. But when you start scratching the surface, you start to realize how little they really know and the lack of relationships that they truly have with groups outside of IT. And that's the part that um, it's not meant to, to take a dig at IT. It just means we've got a lot of work to do as IT professionals to really understand how our company makes money, how our company spends money, and how it functions, what it does with that money. And so back to your question about who owns digital transformation, if we go back to what we were talking about earlier around uh, business transformation, you know, ultimately that starts at the top and flows outward. And so the CIO or the head of IT starts with that and has to work with their uh, contingent, with their peers to ensure that each of them are pulling their weight in terms of that business transformation. And so digital transformation becomes a, a piece of it, but it's not the only piece of it. Yeah. So it's, it's not a simple, it's not a simple answer just like organizations aren't simple. It's right. important to, and it's important to understand that. Yeah, I was, I was uh, at a, a supply chain conference a couple of weeks ago focused on OT professionals, not IT professionals. Mm -hmm. And there's a bunch of supply chain executives all trying to, trying to figure out how to uh, transform their businesses in, in some important way, their manufacturing or, or supply chain operations. And I, I was hosting a round table and I, I asked this question to the group and uh, you know who should own the transformation of your business and of course as you might imagine all the ot people around the, it was all ot people around the table they all said well we do we are the business drivers we own it and i and i asked uh, what is it's involvement in this process and frankly i was shocked at the negative reaction i got from the ot folks around the table and i'm, I'm not going to name names but these were from brand name large uh enterprises that everybody on this call knows who you would think might have thought through how to make it and ot really collaborate together you know a long time ago because these are leading organizations and to a person every one of these ot vps and c-level people basically said we don't trust it Everything takes too long, take too long for me to get on their backlog. So I asked, okay, so how are you gonna digitally transform your operation? We're gonna do it with ghost IT, you know, our own internal technical resource, which is separate from IT. We're gonna do it with systems integrators and other external partners. We're not, you know, we're not gonna use our IT folks. 
and then and and then somebody brought up security and and then that was when oh yes well of course it needs to be involved in in issues related to security but i'll, I'll tell you tim i was uh, quite shocked at, at still the gulf between it and ot that seems to exist in corporate america today it was it was became very visceral for me yeah the, you know everything you've said doesn't shock me because that's exactly what i see day in day out it's and it's it should be a huge wake-up call, but I actually wrote a blog post about this. Um, IT has some very significant blind spots, and this is one of them. They think that the relationship between IT, I mean, I work with Fortune 250, sub-250 mm -hmm. companies, Fortune 50 companies, and, <coughs> excuse me, I work with Fortune 250, sub-250 and Fortune 50 companies. And I see this all the time. You talk to the IT organization, yeah, things are great. We've got great relationships. Right. You talk to the OT folks, they're nice people, but they don't know what we do. What's, yep. what's the problem here? And that's why I say, this is, not a, this is not necessarily a technology problem. Everybody thinks that, oh, well, if we transform digitally within the IT organization, we'll solve the problem. And that couldn't be further from the truth. Many of the issues that exist today start with the fact that you've got to build relationships, good, solid, bi-directional relationships. And your, um, your example of the supply chain conference is the same thing that I see when I meet with these executive teams. Yeah. So it's, yeah. we have a lot of work to do. We definitely yeah. have a lot of work Absolutely. to do. Absolutely. Well, to, to take us home here, so other than bridging the IT-OT gap and, and driving more collaboration and understanding between those groups, what are some other key takeaways, I guess, or, or you know, parting wisdom you'd like to leave for business leaders who are trying to drive you know, a real-time transformation in, in her business? Well, I think the, the first thing in summary would be start with your business goals. Understand what is it that's on the board's agenda understand what is leading the organization. Um, the second thing is understanding who your customer is. Get insights to your customer. Um, spend time with your customer. And I know that might be hard for an IT person to do. In fact, again, I run across this time and time again. The last thing that a business owner wants is an IT person anywhere near their customer. Um, but that just goes to show that um, you need to spend some time building those relationships. Because the more sophisticated and mature and uh, transformational organizations, the CIO spends quality time with their customers. Uh, case in point, um, a healthcare organization that does home healthcare. And the CIO literally will go on ride-alongs. And it was funny because he said, it's great because it gives me great access to understand firsthand what patients are experiencing. He says, the, the ones that I get the most information from are the ones that, I, that do dialysis in the home because we have to spend a couple hours together. Mm. But you have to get to that point. You can't yeah. just look at data. I had a conversation with a number of CIOs um, a couple months back and asking them, how do they get uh, insights from customers? What's the process they go through? And almost exclusively, they were saying, Oh yeah, we don't meet with customers. We look at the data. And I think that misses the point, right? About relationships. So building those relationships is really important. And then, as I said, the three, the trifecta, 
look at opportunities from efficiency, growth, and customer engagement. And if you do that with a business context, you'll be on the right path. Right on. Well, I, I think a, a great way of summarizing all that is, as you said, it's not just about digital transformation. It's about business transformation. And that's what you need to, to think through. I think that uh, wraps it, Tim. Thank you so much for joining us today for this really insightful conversation. I enjoyed it. I did as well. Thanks, Blaine, for having me. You bet. So those interested in hearing uh, more of Tim Thoughts can follow him on Twitter and also check out his site, avoa.com. That's A-V-O-A dot com. And of course, you can reach out to Vantic anytime at realtime at Vantic.com. Bye-bye for now.